Welcome to the Smoke and Rope Podcast, the show that brings together Michigan's top cannabis growers, advocates, and business owners to offer a fresh and honest perspective of Michigan's cannabis industry. Stick with us to get the lowdown from the people who have been on the ground floor of cannabis business in Michigan and gain insights into where the industry may be heading. Welcome to the Smoke and Rope Podcast. I'm your host today, Kevin Pivas with True Cannabis, and I'll be sitting in for our normal host, uh, Ryan Basor, as he is out on the road visiting uh, some of our dispensaries in, in uh, the Upper Peninsula this week. And so uh, today is episode, episode 58, and we have the wonderful and always knowledgeable Rick Thompson on the phone, or uh, I'm with us today. So Rick, how's it going, buddy? It's fantastic. Thanks so much for help, for uh, hosting me, Kevin. Appreciate it. Yeah, of course. And as always, we have my uh, my co-host, uh, the always friendly and jovial Tom Beller over at Relief Solutions. Tom, how's it going, bro? Doing great, Kevin. Yeah, thanks for stepping in in Ryan's absence. We hope he's well up in the Upper Peninsula. We know that the the internet coverage up there can be spotty at best, so figured it was best for him to just do his thing. And so we'll try this out. Looking forward yeah. to it. It's always good to see Rick. Yeah, we'll see how this thing goes. I don't think that any of us can compete with Ryan after almost 60 episodes here. So I'll try my best. I'm sure we'll uh, make some mistakes, but we'll learn from it. And we'll move forward. And uh, of course, we'll always have a good time, right? So uh, real quickly, Rick, uh, for any of our listeners that don't know who Rick Thompson is, give us a quick breakdown of, of, of Rick Thompson. Well, I'm on the board of directors of Normal of Michigan, uh, the Redemption Foundation. I'm uh, one of those guys. Also, Michigan Cannabis Freedoms Coalition. Uh, Cannabis Caucus of the Michigan Democratic Party. Uh, those are my charitable things. I'm also a, uh, the owner of the Michigan Cannabis Business Development Group. We did 12 small business conferences in the state prior to COVID. All of them focused on the cannabis industry. And of course, uh, the socialrevolution.org is my website because primarily I'm a photographer and a journalist, but I've been doing cannabis law reform here in Michigan since the medical era began in 08. Yeah, and I've, I've known you for, for quite some time, Rick. I've seen you at all the uh, the cannabis functions when it came to the politics side. And, uh, you know, my favorite thing about Rick Thompson is he's the guy that can say the things that we all want to say, but we can't say, right? You know, when we were going through the licensing process, you know, there were things you just can't say or you're going to risk going up against the board and having them, you know, hold it against you. And, and uh, while that was all going on, Rick was up at the podium telling everybody the reality of the situation. So Rick, I appreciate all you've done in this industry. You've been an integral part in all of it. And uh, yeah, thanks for being on the show, buddy. Kevin, thank you. I just wish no one ever had to go through that whole board process. That was such an embarrassing uh, and, and ridiculous extra step. Terrible. Yeah, Tom and I've talked about it a lot on the show. And uh, Tom, what's your input on the board? Uh, I have PTSD from that whole situation, man. For real, it, it's really bad having them just not knowing a thing about you and clawing through your past and making assumptions. And, you know, just because you're a caregiver now, all of a sudden, how are how am I unqualified to handle cannabis? You know what I mean? It's just ridiculous. So there's a lot of that. I also wanted to mention uh, Rick uh, News, yet another board that you've been um, assigned to or brought on to is the uh, John Sinclair Foundation. Thank you very can you much. Tell us for, a little bit about that. Yeah, congratulations. Sure. 
Thanks again. I, I, the John Sinclair Foundation is a, a foundation set up by the man himself, uh, the historical legend John Sinclair, in order to protect his legacy. He's got over 30 recorded albums and, and many, many books that he's put out, but so much more than that too, because John Sinclair is multifaceted. He's a beat poet, he's a, a, a chronicler of the drug war, but he was also a music promoter all the way back in the MC5 days too. Plus the White Panthers, uh, you know, his time in New Orleans for the Blues Project. He's got a lot of assets. And what we really want to do is make sure that future generations have a chance to appreciate what John contributed to in a way that, that makes sense. And so keeping them all together and controlled in one environment as opposed to just being everywhere where anyone can willy nilly uh, uh, take away from it. This seems like a yeah. You don't want point. other people. Yeah, you don't want other people directing the narrative of history. We know that happens way too often. Yeah. Controlling intellectual property is is a significant part of what authors and, and recording artists do nowadays. We wish it wasn't that way, but it is. Yeah, well, great, great on you, Rick, for for stepping in and, and helping where needed. We know that uh, when you're in, in charge of it, that the right thing and the justice thing and the righteous thing will happen. So glad to have you a part of that. Um, you know, uh, Tom, you, you jumped in there real quick. I see that you guys um, have the Relief Golden Ticket giveaway. And then I saw Rick hiding in your garden there. So maybe you guys want to talk to me a little bit about that. What's going on with the with the Golden Ticket? Uh, well, the Golden Ticket is something that we've been kind of mulling over for some time. Uh, the idea at Relief is that we cannabis is fun. The whole idea is to have fun. And uh, we in order to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, we've um, decided to bring the whole idea that we've been kicking around for a few years now to, to fruition. And uh, we do have five golden tickets that are going out in Real Leaf products across the state of Michigan to our provisioning centers that, that we work with. And uh, yeah, there'll be a chance for people to win a chance to come up here, stay at the um, at a hotel in town, come to the lounge that we're opening this fall, uh, have a tour of the facility and see how cannabis has grown, um, how we do it here at Real Leaf, and uh, spend some time uh, in Kalkaska checking it out. And just, uh, well, it's a really amazing town and we really want to share it with more people from around the state. So that's kind of the idea. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think Kalkaska is a great town. Uh, it doesn't get enough recognition and the people there are absolutely wonderful to deal with. And uh, so, yeah, I think people really appreciate the opportunity to come up and see you and check out the town. Um, Rick, I did see also while you were up north, you were uh, you were sampling some of our good friend uh, Driven Grow's new Mafia funeral. Maybe you want to give us a, a report on that split that you were smoking on. Well, first of all, uh, uh, let's just talk about Real Leaf Solutions for a second. I did tour that facility. It is top flight. I've been in a lot of places in the state, as you can imagine, and uh, some are large, some are small, but it, it's based on the people. You can have clean hallways and still have a terrible facility if you don't have good people running it, and Real Leaf really does. And I know, Kevin, you, you assembled a team of good people working with you as well, too. So congratulations to both of you for being successful with that. But I do love me some redemption cannabis, I'll tell you. Uh, it, it Driven Gross got that Mafia funeral. Uh, super nice. Uh, I was given a three-pack of those joints by uh, uh, Mr. Basar when we were visiting uh, down in Detroit, uh, one of the facilities down there with uh, Luxury Loud, I believe. And I, I had to have one right away because, man, just smelled so good. But I did save the other two, one for myself and for a friend of mine who's a cancer patient. And when we're at the Flint Drop Fest this last weekend, we were able to go to the second floor of a, a parking structure overlooking the Drop Fest. 
and enjoy that redemption cannabis. And let me tell you, a couple people walking by said, hey, that's loud, man. They recognize the quality just from the secondhand smoke. So beautiful job. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking about um, inhaling some THC, um, you know, recent news came out that uh, Wayne State University was awarded $7 million grant uh, to research cannabis and, uh, and its effect on treating veterans with PTSD, anxiety, sleep disorder, depression, and suicidality. And as it turns out, uh, you had a you had a part in that as well. Um, you want to tell us about that? Well, when we crafted the language of the 2018 legalization program here in Michigan, uh, we included a gift to veterans, uh, veterans with PTSD. We included $20 million in year one and $20 million in year two dedicated specifically toward research for uh, veteran services and PTSD. Uh, there was a little bit of a delay in awarding that first $20 million, but it has been awarded now. It was split into two separate awards. Uh, one, $7 million went to Wayne State University. The other, uh, $13 million went to uh, the MAPS, the Association of Psychedelic Studies. And that's an important uh, a group because that's where Dr. Sue Sicily receives her funding and does her work through. Dr. Sicily is who we originally had envisioned when the crafters of the law put that in there. I was certainly, there's maybe nine people that can be credited with actually being authors of the law. I am not one of those. I'm one of the people in the circle just outside of them. But the fact is we all had some input on it. And PTSD is so important. It, it, we, we don't fully understand what it does for the, the human brain. All of the traditional medications that have been used for it seem ineffective. But there's one thing that anecdotal evidence tells us works, and that's cannabis. And so what we really need to do is help these veterans gain the approval of the Veterans Administration for utilizing cannabis. And not just veterans, but once vets get that approval, everyone else with PTSD is going to feel more comfortable doing it too. The only way to get the Veterans Administration to make that, that agreement is to show them the science. And so what we really are trying to do is to spark the science so that we can make that eventual good deed happen, which is the VA approving cannabis for use for PTSD. Yeah, I think a lot of people aren't aren't aware of the fact that uh, that cannabis is a dream suppression uh, suppressant. So, um, you know, with people with PTSD that have bad dreams at night from, you know, whether it's a traumatic experience or have been in war and whatnot, that that can be a, a real, real uh, uh, advantageous thing to be uh, to be using to to get over some of that stuff. So that's great news. And Kevin, you know that there's domestic violence situations. There's uh, goodness, yeah. almost uh, just tons of things. You could be in an automobile accident or you could have Don Bailey evaluate your <laughs> right. medical marijuana license. Yeah. And, and, and all of those could cause you some post-traumatic stress disorder. Although yeah. we, we've identified veterans as the primary goal, I think we all realize that research would help a lot more people. Agreed. Yeah, it'll definitely help a lot of people that don't even know that maybe they're suffering from it. And most everyone can benefit from cannabis. That's the truth. We are all medical patients of, of cannabis. Uh, but uh, let's talk a little bit about the MRA and this new bulletin that came out. Um, speaking of our favorite uh, drug of choice. Um, so can, inhalable compound concentrate products. Moon rocks, caviar, tarantulas, pre-infused or infused pre-rolls all have required testing, even though the products that are going into those products are actually already tested. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, let's remember that 
we're trying to be as honest as we can with our labeling of product. Now, if you have, let's just call it a tarantula, you've got cannabis on the inside, you got a little concentrate on the inside, you got keef on the outside. Technically, that's at least two, maybe three different tests for different products. Some moon rocks might involve as many as four or five different components. If you're trying to slap four or five different testing labels on a particular product package, you're probably not going to be successful and you're probably going to cover up some important information. But if you have everything already assembled in a product and it's tested, one single label should satisfy the MRA's requirements for informing the consumer about what the THC content is, what are the other terpenes, and that it's been certified. So although superficially it sure looks like if all the components are okay, why not throw them together? It still creates an okay product. I think the focus here was on information and making sure that the labels are correct when the purchase is made. Well, that absolutely makes sense. I guess my question is, uh, does this require then if you were, if you had the intention to make these and of course these are only processors correct that can actually create these products um to take something that has been transferred without a cfa for the flower that ultimately will become one of these products and the distillate that ultimately will become one of these products to not require testing in order to it in order for it to become its final product and then eventually the last procedure would be to test the product before it goes out for consumption. Um, are they still requiring testing of, uh, of all of the ingredients individually before it goes into it? Or can you surpass that if the intention is to the end point being one of these inhalable compound concentrate products? Okay, so I have to be honest with you. I don't think the, the bulletin, which was a brief two and a half page or essentially just two pages of, of valuable information. I don't think it got into that kind of detail, but it would be my suspicion that each one of those would have to be batch tested prior to being combined because I'm, I'm just not certain that the MRA would allow you to mix those different things without having a test beforehand. But that's really a, a better question for the director himself. Get him back on here. Well, I'm also reading right here that it says a cultivator or a processor adding keef to a pre-roll. Now, before my understanding was any time you added anything to anything else, you are processing. So can cultivators actually add keef to their pre-rolls? I think I read in there, no. I think it specifically said that uh, cultivators uh, were not allowed to. Well, maybe with cultivators, if it's from the same batch. Now, this is just speculation. It's not a, a, a guarantee from the MRA, but if the keef is produced from the same batch that produced a tested batch of cannabis, you should be able to keef up your joints because technically it, it all has the same test results and it's essentially the same. So in, in that respect, perhaps you can. That's an interesting question. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, it seems like um, to me, um, you know, we we're moving fast with with rule changes and and, and whatnot. And I think that um, sometimes it's better to just take your time and kind of uh, you know you know work our way into these things. We're only three years into legalization and regulation, and um, you know, I think that it would be you could be some of these things could be overlooked. You know, I I, I was reading some legislation the other day about um, you know increasing the um, the micro business to allow them to grow up to 300 plants and 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 then still do retail and still bring in other products from other facilities and uh, now you start looking at the micro business and the micro business is now better than a dispensary so now a dis now a dispensary is at the disadvantage of the micro because we've changed the law and we're not looking at what what the consequences are of those things are so I think we need to take our time with some of this stuff 
we need to really think it through uh, before just jumping the gun because one person says, hey, I've got a problem. So uh, that's my input on that. Well, you've really identified two separate things that are uh, important. First of all, sometimes people rush to market. They, they think there's such a value to being first. And, and oftentimes that comes at a consequence when you're first, but you didn't wait for the rules to be developed. Like, like Tom said, just slow your roll a little bit. Uh, then you may invest a lot of money in machinery that's not allowed to be to be utilized. The second thing, though, when you're talking about uh, the new license type, that's a proposed license type in the admin rules. What that would be would be a uh, uh, like a class A micro business instead of having just a, a limitation of 150 plants where you're completely isolated, where you can produce and distribute and grow all on your own, but you can't interact with anyone else. The 300 license would allow you to grow your own flower and sell it, but you could also import infused products from others because you're not allowed a processor's license. So you'd still only be able to sell flower from your own garden, but you'd still have an opportunity to achieve all those other uh, products too. As far as I'm concerned, that sort of makes the, the, the regular micro business obsolete Processing is, is an extra step that's kind of a hassle for most people. And if you are producing flour and you can send it out to someone else to be processed and then retail it yourself, that's a gift to a lot of people who have too many things to juggle already. So uh, this was a result of the social equity uh, committee, a uh, social equity and licensing committee. Although there's no social equity component tied to it, this is one of those license types that came from a dialogue with actual licensees or potential licensees. So there's probably a lot more logic involved in the creation of this than we are aware of. But I agree with you, Kevin, it, it, does, it does seem to make obsolete some of the other license types, wouldn't you think? Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny because it's like, you know, if I was in that work group, I would say that, you know, it'd be super advantageous if you just allowed us to grow at our houses and sell from our houses and process at our house. I mean, how far do we go with it? You know what I mean? Like, so that's my my concern. Uh, I feel like, you know, as, as a regulated business owner, you know, I want to see some stability at some point, you know, it seems like everything's always changing. And and I, I knew that we were going to get into that because we're a new industry. But um, I think Tom can attest uh, some stability would be really nice. Oh yeah. Well, consistency, stability, all of that. I mean, those are all things that, you know, businesses thrive on. Otherwise, how, how do you know where to spend your money? Right. I mean, it's easy when you're spending somebody else's money, but when you've been doing it yourself, yeah, you, you really do second guess a lot of uh, scaling decisions based upon what could the, what could change. And you have to make all those contingency plans, but I think that's probably good due diligence anyway. Um, but it is interesting. I guess I never even thought about the fact that a micro business that can bring in products from anywhere is just and sell it is technically a provisioning center, <laughs> uh, you know, and you know, what are the, what are the fees for that license type? You know, I know our fees when we got our first medical license was, they started at $66,000 for a medical class C grow next year. It's going to cost us maybe 8,000. You know, I know that's also a, a factor of how many, you know, licenses are out there and I know that's in the rules, but you know, it's just one of those things that the constantly changing thing, everything's a moving target and we are the highly, you know, the highest regulated uh, industry, you know, in the country for the most part, other than like maybe, you know, nuclear power. Uh, I know more than casinos. You know, if you recall uh, the diamond situation and now our Delta 8 situation too, there were people that saw this product coming on the market. They invested in some infrastructure in order to make that happen. And the marijuana regulatory agency said, stop. We want to make sure that the way you're producing this product meets our standards. And when they did finally approve 
diamonds and when they will finally approve Delta 8, the way they produce it might be different than all of the equipment people have already produced. Not having that consistency means oftentimes people lose a lot of money. This is not just a hypothetical. This is really affecting people's livelihoods. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, speaking of instability, um, a record-setting month in the month of July again. We uh, we saw a 56% increase. Great news for the industry. We're growing. We're growing faster than we can keep up. Um, what are you seeing out there, Rick? What have you What have you uh, seen about the market? Do you think it's going to continue to increase, or or what What are you, What are your thoughts? I interviewed Director Brisbo on one of my other programs uh, earlier this year, and I also interviewed him in December. In December, he said he thought in 2021 we'd hit uh, $1.5 billion dollars in our industry. When I interviewed him later this year, he said, well, probably in fiscal one and a half. But if you look at calendar year 2021, we might hit two billion. Uh, that's an incredible growth rate, which is outstripping all of our other Midwestern states that have recreational or medical sales. Uh, the other thing to note is that medical sales are still holding very strong at 48, 48 million dollars of that uh, 170 some million for the monthly total. So in a situation where many people thought medical would just sort of wither and die, hasn't happened yet. So that's encouraging too for all those patients that still need centers to be able to come and get their, their product from. But I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged by what we're seeing here. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the Anderson Economic Group study, which was the MCMA funded study by a, an economic group here in Michigan to show how much cannabis was being consumed by people in the unregulated market. But when you consider, if the Anderson Group's study is accurate, there's still millions of cannabis users out there in Michigan who have not converted to the regulated market yet. So Kevin, Tom, there's no ceiling. There's no ceiling on our on our dance hall, man. We can we can party until we reach the sky. <sighs> yeah, it, it's crazy. So counterintuitive. Everybody would have thought that with uh, recreational, that medical pe people would give up their their cards and move on. But you know, the reality is now that it's a two year card, it's a fifteen percent discount. You know, so if you're a regular consumer and you go to the dispensary regularly. It's well worth getting your your, your medical card. Um, I do know that uh, a lot of the um, the doctors' uh, offices have now gone virtual, so that makes it a lot more convenient for people to just hop online, get their their recommendation, and, and fill out their paperwork. It's it's not that all, all that inconvenient anymore. So I think that that could be played well, well. You also have other protections that don't protect you under yep. the the adult use law. So um, giving your medical card is is it's important. If, I mean, if you have a legitimate reason to have it even though I do believe, like I said before, that all human beings are uh, medical cannabis users. So, um, but yeah, it, it makes sense to have that card. I mean, if something were to happen and you ended up on probation, uh, you can still use your medicine, uh, which is not the case under the adult use until somebody challenges that. Uh, but that's that's how it is. We had a, a, an attorney on my show yesterday and that would be David Rudoy, whose birthday was yesterday. So belated birthday to David. And he mentioned again, the significance of keeping your medical card and it's it's in more than just driving situations in employment situations and, yeah, and the way that police officers treat you uh, having the medical card still offers so many benefits and kevin said maybe one of the best 15 percent discount yeah come on man yeah well and and not only that let's let's jump into something else too so um jason's uh Szymanski got released from prison uh this last week uh with the help of uh bruce leach and the Michigan Freedom Coalition uh, helping him get out. And all that kind of dials back, I believe, to the Michael Tui case where um, being able to consume marijuana on probation has now become something that you can do if you have a medical card. 
And so, um, yeah, Rick, talk to us about that. So Jason was uh, actually on parole several years ago for another offense, and he received his medical marijuana card and under a doctor's orders, he was using cannabis while on parole. His PO officer uh, violated his parole and threw him back in jail for three years. He'd still be there if it wasn't for the People v. Tui case. Now, the People v. Tui case uh, involves Michael Tui from Traverse City, who sued to allow uh, to be able to use medical cannabis while he's on probation. Um, the Michigan medical marijuana law says you're not allowed to have any any penalization or or any disadvantage because of your medical use of cannabis. So uh, Tui really set a precedent for people who are doing this. Now, the Department of Corrections would have just let Jason sit there and rot with this new decision if it hadn't been for the action of the Redemption Foundation, Cannabis Caucus, the Last Prisoner Project, uh, Cannabis Caucus of the Michigan Democratic Party Clean Smoke Initiative. We had quite a, a great group of people trying hard to get Jason released. We were successful and he was released just the other day. Uh, Jason's one big wish was for a bicycle because he doesn't drive. He likes to bike everywhere he goes. And he was worried that having coming out after being in there for three years, he'd have no wheels. Well, I, I happen to post it on social media and Bruce Leach, who's not only an attorney, he's also the owner of the Sweet Leaf Dispensary in Flint, which is an adult use and medical center. Uh, he stepped up to the plate and said, don't don't get donations. I'll just buy the guy a bike. So literally hours after he was released from prison in Jackson, Mike McCurdy, who's the chair of the cannabis of the uh, cannabis freedom coalition, drove him to Flint. We went to several different shops before we found the right bike for him. And when he saw that bike, his eyes lit up and everybody knew that was the right choice. He was so excited. He drove circles in the parking lot in a rainstorm because he just couldn't keep his, his feet off the pedals any longer. So that's a success story on many different levels. But it also emphasizes the point that, that folks who are incarcerated need help while they're in prison. They need help in order to get out of prison, and then they need assistance after they leave. And that's really what the Redemption Foundation has been focused on. So kudos to all of the people involved in that, including Denise Kirchhoff, who, uh, who spoke at Jason's parole hearing, uh, Mike McCurdy, who's done so much work for him, and Marshall, Marshall Clabeau, who's, who's also been a real big champion for Jason. Yeah, I saw the the video uh, afterwards that he was talking about the bike, and you couldn't you could just see the excitement on his face um, and his gratitude. You know, um, I think that that we've talked about this on the show before. I've mentioned it. You know, in our political turmoil that we're in right now, I think it it's it's, a, it's no better time than now to be compassionate towards one another, be empathetic. And you know, I know when you get out of jail or get out of prison um, that it can be an anxious time, uh, the unknown of how you're gonna proceed forward and whatnot, and to, and to at least give him a moment of some kind of solace and know that he's got people that have got his back and are, and are cheering for him. I think it's awesome, I think it's amazing. And it's gratitude, like I said, he just said over and over how much he wants to give back and to help other people. And, and that's just amazing. You're muted. It's really amazing when you're, you talk about the, uh, the things that someone who's been in prison values when they get out. Uh, not a, a great big shiny car, just a bike. And he didn't want a great big gigantic lobster meal. He just wanted Subway. He has very, very basic wishes when he got out. Not, not something it would take a boatload of money to satisfy. So when people you know, think about maybe can I help this gentleman, it doesn't take a lot. It maybe just takes a few hours out of your day to help people out. But 
it's it's an assistance that's so needed and you'll make a friend for life help a help a parolee you'll never you'll never lose that guy as a friend yeah i agree and um you know another thing i wanted to talk about real quick was to give an update on my expungement um we've been working with uh the great league Great Lakes Expungement Network and Josie Scroggins uh, to get my marijuana convictions removed from my my record. And I've kind of been documenting it over the last uh, few months on the on the show. And I wanted to give an update. So I met with Bart Morris this last week, uh, one of his assistants, Michael, down there. Um, they're filing some paperwork with the court. Uh, assuming that the prosecutor is agreeable, they'll go ahead and just remove it from my record. If not, I will have to schedule a court date. We'll have to go down in front of the judge and make the argument that I should be able to get it expunged, which I don't believe that there is any argument against. Um, but it's just procedural at this point. So we're making good progress. We're a couple months in. So I just want to, you know, to, to again, uh, tell all the listeners that if you have a marijuana conviction, reach out to the Great Lakes Expungement Network. You can reach them at greatlakesexpungementnetwork.com. Talk to Josie Scroggins and she'll get you hooked up. And the Redemption Foundation is paying the 500 bucks that it costs us out of pocket to, uh, to pay the attorneys that are reducing it down from 2,500 to 500 bucks. And uh, so, yeah, the Redemption will take care of all the costs. Great Lake Sponge Network will get you lined up with an attorney and uh, and get the uh, the paperwork process. So I just wanted to give a quick update on that. You know, Kevin, that really That's underscores. Awesome. And there's another thing to, to be concerned here too, because freedom isn't equal all the way across the state. What county you live in has a lot to do with whether or not you get expungements, because as you mentioned, because of the way that they they pass the cannabis portion of the of the uh, clean slate initiative, there's still an opportunity for prosecutors to say no to your attempt to have your cannabis crimes expunged, and if you live in a, a a county like Washtenaw, you're never going to have a problem with that prosecutor. But if you live in a county in the Upper Peninsula, you just might. It's just distressing that the same person for the same crime is given different justice in different parts of the state. Uh, there's something better. There's a better way to do it. I don't have the answers, but we should continue to seek a better way. I think it's valuable. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I, I live in Livingston County and uh, Livingston County has not always been one of the friendliest counties in the state of Michigan when it comes to cannabis. Um, in fact, uh, simple possession of marijuana is still uh, second time as a felony. So, um, you know, uh, we'll see what happens going through this. I'm interested to see how they're going to react. Um, I, I'm almost certain that I'll be the first person that'll come in front of them to try to get an expungement for cannabis. So uh, I'm proud to be leading the charge. Um, I'm proud to be able to announce to the world that we're making progress. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's been a, a long, long haul, but uh, we're, we're finally getting there. And um, I'm super proud of, of how far we got. You know, you mentioned Barton Morris. Barton was also helpful with the Jason Szymanski situation. Plus, he's also uh, working to try and free Rudy Gamo from prison, yeah. who's a, whose small son has has a, a, Such a sad big deal. illness. It is a it's a terrible story. And Rudy is absolutely in prison for things that uh, people are doing right now and making millions of dollars for. And I know Tom, you wanted to jump in a minute ago, but man, that's just that's just sad. It just drives me crazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's just kind of the consistency, compassion, you know, that's things that we seek justice, real justice for the injustices, for uh, inequality and in how we treat people. I mean, all these things can go a long way in life and uh, we really need to get that, you know, get that back and start really caring about, you know, people and, and being consistent across the board. You know, it's one thing to get people to believe in the healing powers of cannabis. It's another thing to get people to say, you know what, that guy that got busted for cannabis, he probably shouldn't have been. 
for whatever reason, people just cling to that criminality. They still cling to that, that you're a bad man kind of a philosophy, no matter how much they believe in cannabis anymore. And that's true. Or, well, they can't, yeah, they can't admit that they're wrong either. Yeah, that's it. There's ego involved in it too. It's not just about science or, or well-being. It's, it's about my personal history. Did I do something wrong in the past that I will feel bad about? If so, I'm just going to ignore it. So they, they try to pretend like cannabis laws haven't changed, but man, we have so many different tools now to help people out as Kevin is proving to everybody right now. Yeah. Well, you guys, you know what? We could sit here and we could talk all day about this. Um, and it's great to talk about these things because bringing these things to the forefront is how we get movements moving and get things uh, happening. So um, I want to thank you guys for all your efforts over the years. But uh, real quick, before we get out of here, um, I want to give everybody a chance to uh, give some final thoughts. So uh, Tom, over at Relief, why don't you give us uh, some final thoughts for the day? I just wanted to thank you, Kevin, for carrying the show today. I really appreciate it. And uh, it's always great to talk to Rick. You know, we could definitely, we have these conversations all the time. It's nice to maybe document them every once in a while. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's, uh, it's, it, it just can't be more fun to be able to, 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 to get the time to sit down with you guys and, and, and chop it up. But uh, Rick, uh, real quick, uh, you got any final thoughts on uh, our conversations today? Well, pay attention to the news. Uh, one of the things you may have noticed from our theme here is that stuff changes fast. And if you're not on top of it, you're behind it. So uh, keep an eye on the socialrevolution.org. Keep an eye on the relevant Facebook pages and social medias. But, you know, be proactive. Call the MRA. Uh, reach out to your local paper and say, has there been an update in something? And stay in contact with your lawmakers. They're going to be very crucial the, the last part of this particular year. After our September 15th caregiver rally on the steps of the Capitol, there's going to be a push to make changes to the, the medical and the recreational laws here in Michigan. Let's make sure that we fully understand them and that we only support the ones that we believe in. Yeah, I agree, Rick. Um, I, you know, I, I really want to thank you for all your efforts over the years, man. You've been so influential to this movement. Um, again, there's there's only a, a handful of people that you could say, like, realistically, that we couldn't have done this without you. And, and, and you're one of those guys. You know what I mean? So um, I'm super proud to call you a friend uh, and, and, uh, and, and to be fighting side by side with someone like yourself. So thanks again. Thanks for being on the show. And uh, we really appreciate all your efforts, buddy. Thank you. We can let Ryan take more vacations because this was fun. This was fun. Um, anyways, guys, we're going to get out of here. Uh, I want you guys to, uh, all our listeners, remember to check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbeam, and Facebook. Follow us on those, uh, those platforms, and uh, we'll catch up with you next week. Have a good uh, week. The Smoke and Rope Podcast is produced and hosted by me, Ryan Basor, the owner of Redemption Cannabis. Have ideas for episode topics or would like to be a guest on the show? Contact us at ryanb at redemptioncanna.com. Thanks for being along for the journey.